When you know the risks that can arise for people by the misuse of that personal information, I think we have a, a you know, we all have a vested interest in, in ensuring that you know, personal information is handled well and protected and in a way treated like a public good as much as a personal good to be protected. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to a new episode of Behind the Ground podcast. We're your hosts. I'm Paige. And I'm Niharika. In today's episode, we'll be hearing from the lovely lawyers at Lander and Rogers about corporate privacy law. As you will hear, the rapid digitalization and emerging technologies in recent years have raised new risks and opportunities for those seeking to protect their IP. We are also very excited to hear about their culture, as in 2020, they won the Diversity Law Firm of the Year and Employer of Choice. This is a broad practice area as privacy plays a role in all commercial transactions from M&A to insolvency. In this episode, Lander and Rogers share with us what it's like to work in the fast-paced practice area, the culture of their team, and how they keep up with the constantly evolving digital age. We'll get started and let our guests introduce themselves. Hi everyone, I'm Lisa Fitzgerald, a partner at Lander and Rogers, practicing in the technology and digital group. My name is Christopher Aaron Young, and I'm a corporate lawyer in Lander and Rogers technology and digital practice group. Perfect. And then we always start with a few fun questions that absolutely have nothing related to law or landers. So the first one we always ask is if you could only have one coffee order for the rest of your life, what would your order be? It'd be a skim flat white. Nice. Simple and reliable. (laughs) Mine would be a full fat latte, bottomless um, (laughs) and made in Melbourne, of course. Oh, amazing. For a second, I was like, what's this bottomless latte I've never heard of? I need that. (laughs) And a bit of a fun one. Is there a song that you might listen to that really gets you going that when you play, maybe other people don't know about and you think it should be more widely known? That's a doozy page. I don't know if I can answer that. I don't know any off the top of my head. (laughs) I always say to this question that I'm such a mainstream music listener that there's nothing I would listen to that people would not know about because I am not unique or cool at all when it comes to music. One of the songs that I think should be more widely known by the younger generation is a song called We're Not Gonna Take It by Twisted Sister. And many and many a time have uh, clients and I joked about dropping in an audio file during negotiations, (laughs) pushing back on a particular request and we think that would be great. A great addition to contracts is adding audio files in there. I can't say I've heard the song, but I agree with the sentiment. I think that would be a fantastic way to push back in a negotiation. (laughs) but I will be listening to it after this. This question is actually one of my favourite ones from this little section, but it can be as silly or as serious as you want, but is there a dream from your childhood that you maybe never got to achieve? These can be super trivial. Some people say like, I didn't go to Disneyland or I really wanted to be an astronaut. And then other people have had very serious answers. Well, I've always been keen to run a marathon. I know it's such an abstract thing, but all my mates used to run like state and all that stuff. Never had an opportunity to do that. I've never been fit enough to do that. So that's one dream I'd definitely like to take on and just kind of conquer. That's very good. I think I've always thought the same thing. My stepdad used to run marathons and he always used to tell me that if I ran a marathon and qualified for the New York marathon, that he would take me to New York. Yet that was not even enough motivation to make me run a marathon. So we'll (laughs) see if I ever get that far. (laughs) One day soon. One day. What about you, Lisa? Competing in the Olympics in an event, any event, 
but yeah, I didn't achieve that. And unlikely to unless it's lawn bowls or something. <laughs> my twilight years. No, I love that answer. I think I always loved the Olympics because I just wanted to be part of the opening ceremony. It was always so beautiful and everyone marched out and they all had their matching Australian track suits and I just wanted to be part of that more than actually training for anything sport or athletics related. Yeah, as long as you get to choose the uniform though because they can be a bit hit and miss. That's very true. Well, thank you for that. I know that was a little bit of a challenge, but I promise the following questions are all about the work you do and Landers, so we'll be smooth sailing. But if you could describe Landers in three words, what do you think those words would be that best describe the kind of feel and experience that you've had from the firm? Well, Lander and Rogers, the culture is incredible. So I think, you know, it's probably two words, the culture, amazing. I love that. I guess like three broad descriptions. So innovative for sure. They're empathetic and they're technically excellent. I know those, those are more than three words. Innovative, compassionate and excellent are probably the best ones to summarise it. No, they're great. And I really loved how you said, well, empathetic and compassionate because I don't think they're mm. words that you always hear in association with work or more <laughs> particularly with law firms as I think that's probably the opposite is what is thought. So that's really nice to hear and probably plays a lot into the culture that you spoke about, Lisa, and why you love it so much. And I guess on that, are there any sort of myths that you think that the firm dispels about working in the law, whether that be that it is quite a empathetic and compassionate workspace? Or is there anything else that you maybe thought about working at a law firm that now that you're in that role, the firm has completely flipped that idea on its head? Yeah, it's less about the kind of preconceived concepts of what a law firm was for me. It's more about how I used to perceive what a company could be or a commercial operator should be. What Landis does really well is balance both the commercial excellence with the kind of community focus. And you get that leadership from up top. You have awesome partners like Lisa and you have the CEP Genevieve who really invest in her employees and also backs the community around her. So that's probably one of the, the key call outs I would, I would imagine. That sounds great. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah, I think something that Landers does exceptionally well is investment in pro bono work. So I think a lot of firms do that, but Landers does it just so well. And it's really part of our everyday existence. So at any one time, you'll always have a pro bono matter going on in conjunction with your billable work. So I think that's amazing. And just how that challenged my own preconceptions of corporate law firms when I was a student is that sort of ability to marry doing something, you know, giving back to the community or doing something that might be human rights law-ish. <laughs> And, you know, doing something that is very much commercial and part of the private sector. So, yeah, it's kind of a match made in heaven when you've got all of those boxes ticked. No, that sounds so good. And I think it is really important to talk about pro bono because it's something that a lot of students do want to engage with but think that maybe going to a commercial law, they'll be very limited in the amount that they're allowed to do with pro bono work and, and the more vulnerable communities. So that's really great to hear that you guys offer that at Lander Rogers. And obviously... On top of the pro bono, there's an enormous amount of work that you guys do and have received a lot of great congratulations across the years. Is there any accolade that you are most proud of that the firm has achieved or that you've achieved in your practice over the years? Something that I think is a standout for Landers is our ratio between male and female partners. So I think we are at the moment we have the highest representation of female partners at the firm, which is fantastic to be part of that good news story. And the other thing is the investment in our people 
and pleased to say that our Christopher Yong here has been nominated for 30 Under 30 Lawyers Weekly Awards. And, you know, won't take the credit for that. You have to have natural talent. That's awesome. Christopher, congratulations. That's such a huge achievement. You must be so excited. Yeah, I'm stoked. So modest, barely cracked a smile there. It's it's a team effort, definitely a team effort. So yeah, that that was one of the achievements um, that I'm most proud of, I would say. So during the time at Landers, I've managed to pick up five nominations for 30 Under 30, which is humbling, just super stoked to be considered in different categories. But it all came out because of a secondment opportunity that Lisa kind of put me up for and the firm supported me for. So it was a meeting of the minds and just perfect timing, really, that I worked with a client, a major banking client that we just managed to really connect with and do some really great work, which was recognised in those categories. That's so great. And I guess I'm going to derail some of the questions a little bit, but secondment Mm. opportunities, are they something that Landers offers frequently and how do you sort of get involved and how did you find that experience? Yeah, from experience, I would say it is something that they offer quite frequently. Client base that Landers has is really wide ranging. And often when clients know how good the lawyers are on the team, they often need resourcing and they need support. So there is ample opportunity. I think currently there are quite a few lawyers out on secondment of varying lengths. But in terms of the kind of skills gained and the need there, it's all because Landis provides that solid base, which will then allow lawyers who go into comment to really excel and do quite well. That's very good. Nice to hear. And you sound like you really enjoyed your experience. You speak very fondly of that. <laughs> and now I guess to the good stuff, the practice area that we sort of got given by the firm and that we allocated was corporate privacy law, which sounds very niche and I do not know a lot about it. So maybe Lisa, you want to kick us off with an overview of what the practice area is? Yeah, sure. So You'd probably put it into the regulatory advisory category, although it does creep into transactional work as well. So from the regulatory uh, privacy perspective, we're often advising clients on how they can use personal information and how they can comply with their duties under the Privacy Act. And also we're advising quite increasingly, unfortunately, (laughs) on notifiable breaches under the mandatory notifiable data breaches scheme. So that's something that is happening more often because of the rise in cyber attacks and particularly ransomware. Ransomware is now sort of, you know, on, on the black market provided as a service. So as, as tech lawyers, we will advise on software as a service, platform as a service, which are cloud-based services. But, you know, on, on the dark web, you can access, you know, services like ransomware as a service. And that's used to perform cyber attacks and hold corporates to ransom. And so we're often advising with cybersecurity forensics in relation to those types of issues and whether or not there's a notifiable obligation to the regulator. That sounds incredible and quite exciting. I think the mention of the dark web makes it sound like, and you know, you're getting to work around those very different kinds of areas and obviously Mm. in a very different space that a lot of us would never even get a look in at. I definitely can say I wouldn't even know where to find a dark web, the dark web. I don't even know (laughs) what it is. And from a transactional perspective, we're often advising on, you know, the privacy elements in a, in a transaction. So quite often companies are exchanging data. And so if there's any personal information involved in that, that's where we would advise and make sure there's sufficient contractual protections, you know, within that contractual arrangement to ensure that personal information is protected. I guess the, the key thing is, yeah, as Lisa touched on, 
So privacy and cybersecurity go hand in hand. And one thing that we have been advising on are the notifiable data breaches and, yeah, just the capacity of directors to kind of be compliant with their obligations under under law. But it's a wide-ranging practice group and it's a, it's a wide range of work. You get to work with a wide range of clients from startups to scale-ups to very established international brands. So it's very diverse and it's a lot of fun. I'm sure it is. That sounds so exciting. And the next question is, what drew you to this area of law? Was it, I guess, the clients? Was it that you were interested in the sort of tech world or sort of fell into it like the common answer is that you did your rotations and you liked a partner or it just worked well with your skill set? For me, it was, there's always been an interest in startups, scale-ups and that whole technology frontier work. I'm a pretty avid reader and always kind of keeping up to date with that those type of developments so it worked really hand in hand to to work for a boss and work for a company and that really leads by example and is at the frontier of a lot of these innovative technologies and developments and one example of that which they do really well is they train their lawyers up on different types of technology and just to have the opportunity to learn those type of back-end skills to complement the front-end skills as in technical or drafting skills just works really well. No, that sounds like it really does. And I'm quite impressed. I'm totally going to cut myself out saying this. But Christopher, you speak so well and very highly about the firm that I'm like, you're doing, they obviously did something right in your training. (laughs) We pay him. (laughs) No, no, they're a good one. It's really cool. And thank you. Thank you for saying that. (laughs) Lisa, what drew you to this area of law? Well, again, this is going to date me, but it wasn't really a practice area when I was going through law school. It was just sort of evolving. So it's it's really grown alongside my own other practice areas, which include, you know, as, as I mentioned earlier, technology, telecommunications, media, intellectual property. So it sort of goes part and parcel, obviously, with technology because of, you know, the de- dependence of technology on, on data and usually personal information. So it sort of goes hand, hand in glove with tech, as does IP. So we're often, you know, ad- advising just as much on intellectual property rights as well in that context. So, yeah, it wasn't by design <laughs> at all, but certainly now it's very much an integral part of our practice and an exciting part. And, you know, I think when you know the risks that can arise for people by the misuse of that personal information. I think we have a, a you know, we all have a vested interest in, in ensuring that, you know, personal information is handled well and protected and in a way treated like a public good as much as a, a personal good to be protected. No, that's a really important way of looking at it too because I think that we forget that when there is a data breach, it's generally not just one person's information that's taken. It's every single piece of information that was in that data pool is now being dispersed to someone else, which is definitely more of a public problem than a personal problem. I guess you sort of spoke about this earlier, which I had no idea about, but the question I'm going to ask is what's one thing you wish more people knew about corporate privacy law that they maybe don't? And I was just really interested earlier when you said that they There is some involvement of sort of forensic work in your practice, which is something I would have never even crossed my mind that would be something that you guys work with. Is there anything else that maybe you wish people knew or if you want to talk about that sort of part of it a little bit more? We talked earlier about the mandatory notifiable data breaches scheme. That's what it's referred to as under the Privacy Act. And I think a lot of people think there's a mandatory obligation to always report when there's a, a data breach. But there's actually a legal assessment that has to happen. And we do that often in conjunction with what the forensics uncover in terms of the accessibility of the information that may have been compromised. 
the nature of the attack and the likelihood of that attack sort of resulting in serious harm to individuals. So the legal assessment does require that establishment of a likelihood of serious harm to the affected individuals. And so that I think, yeah, it's something that people don't really appreciate. They think it's got a report to the regulator. Wow, we're going to have, you know, reputational damage as a result and loss of customer confidence and all of that sort of stuff. But actually, you don't always need to report and you can take remediation steps to reduce the likelihood of serious harm. So a bit of a technical point. <laughs> but if, if you like to sort of, you know, think about the law and apply it practically and work with, yeah, amazing forensic scientists, it's amazing. Yeah, that's really interesting. It's always cool to hear when the law sort of intersects with other areas and we are, as lawyers, working in a space that maybe doesn't seem strictly legal. You're working inside a legislative framework, but the kind of rules and tests that you're applying aren't just on the basis of legal opinion, which is really cool. Yeah, it is. That point about intersection of laws is really important in privacy, actually, because increasingly, you know, you're, it's not just an isolated issue. There, there's quite often consumer law issues that you need to consider in conjunction with privacy, as well as just other data-related regulations, such as in financial services. There's APRA regulations that relate to that sort of information, not just personal information. So you do have to bring a holistic sort of a, a analysis to your work, which is, yeah, which makes it interesting. I think, Lisa, you covered it really, really well. Only thing I would add is that we are very commercial and kind of holistic in that sense, to use her words. Um, so not only bearing in mind the whole kind of universe of the legal component, but also understanding exactly what the client needs and what commercial decisions and factors are playing in, in their decision-making and in our decision-making. I was just going to have uh, make another add-on there, if it's okay, yeah. Paige, because I think it's it's a really important point that commerciality is something that our clients expect. Certainly when I started out, it was much more black letter, but now mm. there's a requirement for lawyers to really understand, you know, things like legal budget and what they can allocate to the legal advice that they're seeking, but also, you know, just the commercial context within which you're giving that advice. So it's a really important point. And again, in the context of privacy, you quite often not only looking at the legal obligation, but what the customer expectation is, which can be a higher standard. And so, you know, you're quite often advising on what best practice is, which again can exceed the legal standard. So yeah, that's quite an interesting part of the job. Uh, one thing that's done really well is you, you're moving away from this type of master builder model, where it's like one central repo of understanding and you break in what our team does really well is you break down the silos and you work across different areas of expertise. So uh, Lisa and I have both had M&A experience, but there are M&A partners within our team, which we lean on for those type of transactional input. But then for us, they come to the IP privacy and that really solid data advice. So it's just figuring out who's best placed to commercially answer which answers or which questions. And it's a, it's a really solid model. And you, you find that the team works more cohesively and you, you're getting outcomes for the client that could never be achieved um, as an individual master builder so to speak that's such a good point and I think we're hearing that more and more that firms are realizing that you do need a little bit more movement across the practice areas but also understand what people are good at and what their expertise is and like you said lean on them when the questions mm. are technical and you need that support so I think that's really great and I'm sure Landers is doing it very very well we sort of touched on this earlier but I guess to give a more concrete answer what are the other sort of areas of law or other professional services that you interact with in corporate privacy law? 
obviously you've spoken about the regulator. Are there other sort of bodies that you need to rely on to be able to do your job well or efficiently? Well, internally, we work with our innovation team. So particularly in this area of privacy, there's so much that could be automated and and done more efficiently. So quite often the compliance burden is too heavy for companies and so they might make a commercial decision to take the risk on it, which isn't good when we talked earlier about treating personal information as a public good. It's sort of, you know, it's contrary to that. So Mm -hmm. making compliance obligations easier is something that we're actually working with our innovation team to build a tool that will help yeah, meet those regulatory obligations much more easily and efficiently and cost-effectively, <laughs> just ticking all the boxes yeah. that, that um, make our clients happy. <laughs> Most definitely. No, thank you. That's so interesting. And I guess that is obviously very helpful to them and also to you to be able to provide a service that, like we've said this whole time, is more of a holistic commercial approach to a legal question rather than staying strictly in the realm of legal advice. I guess you may not have an answer to this because I'm not sure what's going on in this area, but are there any sort of new exciting developments that are coming up around corporate privacy law, whether that is changes to the regulator or potential new innovation to make these compliance regulations easier? Yeah, there's highly anticipated changes to the Privacy Act. It's not something that changes very often, but there will be some changes that will bring it into closer alignment with what's referred to as the gold standard of the GDPR, <laughs> which is the European regime so that's that's coming up and one of the biggest changes there will be the increase in fines so I think they'll move from around two million dollars for a fine up to 10 million dollars or um, a, a quite a significant percentage of annual domestic turnover so the the bite of the privacy <laughs> act is, is gonna you know hurt even more and will motivate uh, companies to actually comply there'll, there'll be a need to integrate um, compliance on a from a privacy perspective into just BAU. So that is coming and also potentially a change to the current regime, which is that not everyone is obliged to comply with the Privacy Act. You have to meet a threshold of an annual turnover of $3 million. So not all companies, particularly startups, have that. So there's no incentive for those smaller organisations to integrate privacy by design into their everyday and, and their products and services. Whereas if it does apply across the board, there will be that incentive. So yeah, that that's a significant change if it comes into effect. That's a huge change. That definitely gives the legislation some teeth. Wow, that's a huge fine for companies to bear. Cool. Well, we're sort of getting to the end here. And these next few questions are sort of general advice to students to help them learn a bit more and get more involved. So is there any ways that you think students could build their knowledge on this area? Any resources or journals, websites that they should be following to make sure they can stay up to date with privacy laws? Shameless plug here, but we regularly publish within this space. So just register for all the updates that we put out. But equally on our personal LinkedIn platforms, we're constantly publishing different types of things. So that's also a good avenue for to keep up to date with these developments. That's a great plug. We love it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to plug the um, OAIC, so, so the Privacy Regulator. They have an amazing resources on, on their site. It's a bit of a rabbit warren to find... <laughs> To find what you need, but yeah, just a very well-resourced privacy portal. And of course, the states and territories have their own privacy regime as well as the federal regime. So maybe um, in your particular state, checking out what they have to say would be a good thing to do. 
That's great advice. Thank you both. The next one is, I guess, from a perspective of an interviewer or someone that is reviewing applications, is there maybe three skills that you would look out for that students would have or experiences that they would have that would help them work effectively in this space? Yeah, absolutely. I think any sort of exposure to legal practice you know, is going to help whether or not it's in the privacy space or not. But particularly in any tech legal practice is going to help for privacy. And yeah, I I would definitely try and go for the clerkship or go for a paralegal opportunity or something like that. Just that real hands-on experience is invaluable. Yeah, more general kind of skills to call out. I think just the the key ones, so attention to details, paramount uh, ability to communicate clearly also very important and then the last just actively listening to instructions being given and those skills they equally apply throughout the application process so it's being mindful of what landers have published mindful of the prerequisite requirements when you're applying for these roles just kind of being across all those kind of baseline table stakes expectations will really help you That's such good advice and I think that might be part of your answer to our final question which is do you have advice for students that want to apply for a clerkship at Landra and Rogers? Any words of wisdom to help them get their foot in the door? Be authentic. That's that's the key thing. doesn't matter whether it's um, in the form of your resume cover letter or during the interviews or any of the social events that they might put on. Just be authentic. And if you bring your whole self to work, then you'll find quite easily that you'll settle into the team and you'll excel quite well. But if there's any kind of reservation about that, just follow your instincts and adjust accordingly. Totally echo, yeah, that focus on authenticity, but also just maybe focusing on communicating your passion in, you know, a particular area of law, if you have a passion. (laughs) Uh, Got to be authentic and, you know, that's got to go hand in hand. But I think just sort of, yeah, really focusing on on the thing that that makes you interested in pursuing a career in the law is it really does speak volumes. It it actually bounces off the page if you can articulate your passion for a particular area or the legal profession generally or, you know, private practice or corporate practice or workplace relations or whatever it is, just the thing that really will drive you forward and keep keep continually improving. That's what we want to see. <laughs> no, that sounds great. And I think you're right. They all kind of play hand in hand. The authenticity and your passion is all just about being yourself, which is obviously very valued, which is nice to hear. That is all from me, all of my questions. I just want to say a huge thank you to you both for your time this morning. It has been really, really lovely to talk to you. Thanks so much, Paige. Thanks again, Paige, for having us today. Thank you for listening to this episode. We'll be continuing to release episodes on Monday and Wednesday, so make sure you subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts. And don't forget to follow Behind the Grind Pod on Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn. All of these links are in your show notes. That's it from us, but make sure to keep an ear out for our new episodes coming soon.